open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we started a three-part series looking at biblical marriage. And as Christians, we know that we live in a sinful world that is abusing biblical marriage, that wants nothing to do with it. In fact, in some cases, trying to get rid of it altogether. And it is out of control. But, but we understand, at least we must understand as believers, that there is one authority who can define what marriage is and who can marry who. And of course, that is God. And we find his authority in his word. Last week, we, we talked about the fact that biblical marriage is between a biological male and a biological female. That's the way God created it from the beginning. We looked at Genesis. This is the way it will be until the day we die. This is the only marriage that we as a church will celebrate, the marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. We discussed the fact that marriage is a holy covenant. Uh, that means it's not a contract. It's not something that you sign on year after year, and, and when the year is up, you decide, hey, do we want to stick with this contract, or do we want to be done with it? What do we should we do? Should we write a new one? No, no. It's meant to be a holy covenant, meant to last a lifetime. And by all means, we should try to avoid divorce, if at all possible. Marriage should be looked at and taken very seriously. And the last thing we talked about when it comes to biblical marriage, it is that it is a picture of the love between Christ and the church. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, in fact, today, here's, here's the topic of discussion this morning. Bibl the biblical role of the husband. Now, as soon as you bring a topic up like this, the temptation may be for the wives to start loosening that shoulder and that elbow. And I just want you to resist that. Maybe you need to just fold your arms and hold them in your lap. This is not an opportunity for you to be poking at what your husband needs to be doing, unless you're poking and saying, honey, you're, you're nailing that. Then you can do that. It's okay, all right? Uh, but this is an opportunity, wives, for you to be praying over your husband. This is a serious calling that men have when it comes to being a husband, and, and we need all the support we can get. Because men, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, husbands, you're about to get a spiritual spanking. And just be thankful that you weren't dealing with it all week like I was, all right? But this, this is extremely important that we understand what God has called us to when it comes to being biblical husbands. Now, for those of you who aren't married, here's an encouragement to you. Men, if, if you have a desire, single men, if you have a desire to be married at some, some point in your life, let this be an opportunity for you to pray and to seek the Lord and ask God to, 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 to build these things up in you so that when it comes time for marriage, God has equipped you and you focus on these things. Single women who have a desire to be married, my encouragement for you is to be praying for your future husband, that, that he, might, he might take part, that, that these things would be true of him. And if you have no desire to be married, let me encourage you to still pray. Because the husbands in this room desperately need your prayers as we seek to honor God in this impossible role to do on our own. And so let's jump into the text this morning, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder this morning that you will hold us fast. And God, I pray as we talk about the role of a biblical husband, God, I ask for your amazing grace to be ever-present. Lord, I pray for the men here who maybe even now the condemnation is already coming. The, the faults and the flaws that they have in their lives as a husband, Lord, maybe running through their minds. Lord, I pray that you would remind them uh, that if they've repented truly of their sin and placed their faith in you for salvation, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yet, Lord, I, I pray that you would bring conviction where conviction needs to be brought. Lord, that you would bring change in the husbands in this room, that we would reflect the love that Christ has for the church. And so, God, open our eyes. I pray that you would keep us from distraction, especially for those who, who definitely need to hear what your word has to say. And so, Lord, would you lead us? Would you direct us? Would you guide us? I pray for the wives that, that Lord, you would help them as they think of their imperfect husbands who are failing at this, Lord, that you would give them much grace and a heart of prayer for their husbands. Lord, we desperately need you this morning. And my hope, my only hope, is that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are truly with us. So, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dive into this text, we're going to see three main biblical roles of the husband that we're going to talk about. Now, throughout these three weeks looking into marriage, I just want to say and remind ourselves that, that we're not going to exhaust this topic. I'm not going to teach everything about marriage. I'm not, I, I don't have the time. Uh, I, I wish we could take the whole year and just focus on it, but that would not be, I don't think it would serve our people at all. And so this is not exhaustive, and yet still I think there's some vital truths that we can take in when it comes to the role of biblical being a biblical husband. Here's the first role. Lead your wife. Lead your wife. Look again at verse 22. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I want you to 
the focus here on verse 23. It says this, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, you might be asking, oh, aren't we hitting the wives first? Like, they're mentioned first. Why shouldn't we go to them? That's, that's because the men are the ones who are called to lead. And Paul gives us here a comparison of husbands to Christ being the head of the church. Now, first of all, let, let's establish this. Let's make sure that we understand that what, what Paul is not saying, he's not saying that men are the saviors of their wives. Like, we make horrible saviors, and marriages will go terribly wrong if you put your husband in that kind of role. And so, don't be tempted to call your husband Superman or Captain America. If you want to do that in the privacy of your own house, have, feel free. But we have one Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. Your wife doesn't need anyone else but Jesus. Rather, the point here that Paul is saying is that men are to take the lead in their family. They're to take initiative. They're to, to guide and to help direct the family. You are called, husband, to lead your wives. Now, when it comes to the topic of leadership, there are a thousand books you can read. And many go many different directions. And different topics, and depending on who you talk to, you're going to get multiple opinions on the subjects. But we still need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to lead our wives? First of all, let's just talk about what it doesn't mean. When, when you see the call for wives to submit to husbands and for husbands to lead their wives, if we aren't careful, we can take, and I've seen this happen in many marriages, and abuse it. I've seen men abuse their wives even emotionally by demanding submission what what it doesn't mean to lead our wives it doesn't mean that we are domineering over our wives let me remind you what verse 21 says in ephesians 5 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so even in the midst of being believers in Christ, there's this call for us to submit to one another as believers. There's a sort of submission that has with husbands and wives of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this is not a domineering thing. And, and, and to bring more focus and attention on this understanding, because I don't want to assume that everybody in this room sees marriage the same way, I want to make sure that we understand we are not to be domineering over them. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is towards the end of your Bible here. We got Hebrews and then James and then 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, so I exhort the elders among you. Now, now first of all, you might be thinking, why, why, are we, why are we talking about elders when we're supposed to be talking about marriage? Well, let, let me get to that. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So who are the main leaders of the church that God has established? It's the elders. And the elders are called, don't domineer over your people. Now, if he's going to give that charge to elders, then certainly the same would apply 
to husbands. You're, you're not to domineer. You're not to dominate your wives. Rather, you are to lead her gently. Here's why I feel the need to say this. As I said before, I have seen men do this to their wives in the name of Jesus, in the name of Ephesians 5, of woman you're called to submit. And I want to say that is evil and wicked. When I think of domineering, I think of a husband telling the wife what to do, letting her know when she can and cannot leave the house, what clothes she must wear when going out, making sure that she doesn't spend a penny over the limit that you have set for her. Now, certainly, there, there are wisdom and guidance, but, but when we approach marriage like this, this is not what a husband should do. This is not leading your wives. Colossians 3.19 says this, Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If we sit and we are laying out everything that our wives can and cannot do, that is domineering and that is being harsh. When it comes to leading our wives, it's a call to lead spiritually. And this doesn't mean that, that we are closer to Jesus than our wives might be. It, it doesn't mean that we're more intellectual. It doesn't mean that we're more intelligent. But it does mean that we are striving with all that we have to keep Christ at the center of our marriage. Now, we should strive by example to pursue Christ, but we need to lead our wives to Jesus. Look at Matthew, or Ephesians 5, verse 26 again. Verse 25 says, husband, love your wives. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me, remind our, let me remind us of what I said earlier. Are we able, husbands, to make our wives holy without blemish? Say, no, we are not able to do that. <laughs> Just like single ladies, if you think a husband is going to make you more like Jesus, that may or may not be true. Like, you have everything you need in Christ. We, as husbands, cannot perfect our wives but we can point her to the one who can. We can point her to the Savior who can make her new. And, and this, is the, this is what it means to lead our wives, that we, we lead her beside Christ. We point her to the scriptures. We bathe her with the word of God. This means that the most important relationship that we have is our relationship with God that we draw near to Christ so that we can lead. My, one big prayer that would be answered is if you came home, if you went home today, all the more desperate for God to be alive and active in your life. All the more desperate for you to realize, I need him, I can't do this alone. And you dive into the word because of it. Husbands, we start by leading our wives by being dependent on Christ. And then we bring our wives to Jesus. We, we, we encourage her to be in the word. We ask her how her relationship with the Lord is going. We remind her that you're not the Savior, although she probably doesn't need to be reminded of that. Uh, but we remind her of who her Savior is, and we continually bring her to him. A major role of leading our wives is by helping them grow in maturity in Christ. 
So men, let me ask you, how are you doing in leading your wives? Are you pointing them to Jesus on a regular basis? Are you leading by example? Are you expressing your dependence on Christ with your actions? Husbands, lead your wives. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the next role. Lay down your life for your wife. Lay down your life for your wife. How many of you right now, man, you're like, all right, I'm ready. Let's say amen. Let's go home and let me hide myself in the closet for a while. Right, that's kind of what I feel like. But this is, this is what God has called us to do right here in Scripture. As Christ laid down his life for the church, we are called to lay down our lives for our wives. I think this is something that, if we're honest, men, we don't fully grasp the call to be a husband when we say I do in the church, do we? I didn't fully grasp this. But we are called to give up our lives. And to go further, the text here says to treat our wives as Christ treated the church. Our example to follow spared no expense for his bride. You realize Jesus gave up everything for the church. Let me ask you, does the world teach this role of husband? The world has a much different understanding of marriage. This, these, are, these are literal things that I have heard from the world of people uh, who, who are looking to be married. Uh, these are things that I've heard people say. Marry someone who makes you happy. That might last for a little bit, but there's bound to be conflict. Marriage won't always make you happy. Marry someone who completes you. Have you heard that? Brothers and sisters, let me, if you're looking for completion, you will only find your life more miserable if you're looking for your spouse to complete you. There's only one who completes you. And as cheesy and as cute as a line that might be in a movie, that does not work in our lives. Only Jesus Christ completes us. Marry someone who will help you reach your goals. That <laughs> has anything to do but dying to yourself you ever heard that though like oh i think you can help me reach my goals that i call wow that's that's interesting i've heard this said too and this really is amazing marry someone who won't make you change i have found myself at times don't judge me for this uh, watching like shows like um have you, and you don't have to admit it either if you feel like a little bit weird about it. But really, I'm just, I, I'm really intrigued by this. But those who have gone on shows and, the, and it's like they don't see each other. They're like in these pods. They can talk to one another. And they're trying to figure out in a week whether or not they want to marry one another. And, and these are the kind of things that they say. Like they're looking for somebody to complete them. They're looking for somebody uh, who, who won't make them change, who will accept you the way they are. Listen, does Jesus accept us the way they are and keep us there? No, now he, he loves us where we're at, but he refuses to keep us there. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, and so he will discipline those that he loves. So marriage is no different, brothers and sisters. 
One good reason for marriage is that we need to be changed. I don't know about you, but if I wasn't married, I might be 500 pounds. I love sugar. And, and Nikki reminds me, Ben, that's not good. <laughs> and she wants me to be around when, when, Lord willing, we have grandkids someday. She helps me become more like Jesus, yes. She doesn't complete me, but she certainly is not going to accept me in my faults and let me stay in my faults. She wants to see me conformed in the image of his son. And so the, the, the philosophy of the world is so different. And men, we're not going to hear what we want to hear from the world, world. That's why we have to look into God's word. And in marriage, we are called to die. So when we look at Ephesians 5, we have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus give himself up for the church? This isn't on the screen, but let me just read Hebrews 12, 2 for you. It says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear Jesus' motive here? For loving the church and for giving himself up. Let me read it again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus gave his life up for the church and it was his overflowing joy to do so. Jesus loves his bride, the church. Jesus cherishes the bride. Jesus does not Love the church begrudgingly. He's not rolling his eyes while he does it. He loves the church. He, not only did he die for the church, he lived for the church. He lived a perfect life to follow the Father so that we could have a chance to be made right with his Father. He loves us. He didn't look at Peter. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and after he died he goes to Peter? And is he like, oh my gosh, Peter. Are you serious? I, I was at my lowest moment, and you think it's okay for you to deny me for what I did for you? Is that the way Jesus responded? No, he, he compassionately came to him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. See, here's the thing. Jesus knew who he was living for. Here's a, let me say this too. Let me clarify. Jesus did not live his life for the church and that was the ultimate thing. The ultimate reason that Jesus came, the ultimate reason why Jesus came was out of love for his father. He cared far more about the glory of his father than he did about how the people would respond to him. He wasn't looking for fulfillment. Jesus needed nothing that Peter could give him. There was nothing Peter could do that Jesus needed. And yet, Jesus died for him. Brothers and sisters, I wonder how many marriages live in a contractual way if my wife does this then i will love her it's not the way that jesus laid out for us jesus gave his life up husbands this is what we were called to do now you might say you don't know who i'm married to she's difficult i would say this you don't know your savior turn with me Next, next book of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians. It's just a couple pages towards the end of your Bible. Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. This, this scripture was running through my mind when I thought about like Jesus and how he lived. 
remember, Jesus lived for the glory of God. Why do we exist? We exist for the glory of God. Husbands, why do you exist? You exist for the glory of God. And one way that we glorify God is by laying down our lives for our wives. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. In humility, count your wives more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's no, there's no, there's no like point that points you to the bottom of the page, no notes that say, hey, now if you're dealing with a difficult person, then you don't have to think of them as more significant than yourself. Hey, if you got a difficult wife, like, this verse doesn't really apply to you. Don't, don't worry about that. Hey, you know, like, yeah, Jesus died for the church, but, like, that, that's, not really, that's not really what you have to do. Like, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta find happiness, right? Like, you gotta do you. No, no, he's saying, like, consider others more significant. Jesus didn't look to the church and decide, I'll die because, you know what, I think they're worthy of it. Like, they're doing some good stuff. Jesus died despite what any man would do for him because he did it for the glory of God. And so we need to approach our marriages, husbands, as understanding this is all for God's glory. I'm loving her not because I might receive anything. I'm loving her. I'm dying to myself because this is what God has called me to do because I love my father. And here's the amazing thing that happens when we turn our attention off of looking to receive something or looking for reciprocation of something we did. Instead, we just do it all for the glory of God. Oh, I tell you, life goes so much better. And then all I'm worried about is like, God, have I pleased you? Have I done what you've called me to do? So we, we can't say, man, I got a difficult wife, though. This is, I, I, I'm not doing that. Consider Jesus here as we read further in Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let me ask a question. Was Jesus equal with God? Absolutely. Jesus was God. And yet he came and did not consider equality something to be grasped. Yet, look how he came. Verse 7, he emptied himself. He didn't come and say, hey, I demand respect. I'm the king of kings. I was there at creation. I created you. You better recognize. That's not the way Jesus came. He emptied himself by taking the form of a what? Servant. You want to lead your wives, husbands, be a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, I know this is a high calling. But nevertheless, this is our calling, men. To love, to lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life for the church. Marriage is not someone to come in your life and help you do more of what you want to do. Marriage is an opportunity for you to give yourself up to look at the example of Jesus Christ who would have, I mean, how many times have you disobeyed Jesus since you came to Christ and yet he's still loving you, lovingly accepts you as his child. 
if you've truly repented of your sin and placed your faith. Jesus loves you once you've done that unconditionally. This is the way, husbands, we are called to love our wives and to lay our preferences down. So here's just a quick couple thoughts of what it looks like maybe to, to lay down your life. Make decisions with your wife in mind. Make decisions with your wife in mind. Let her have input. Let her speak into it. Leading does not mean you make all the decisions. Me, leading does mean that every decision made falls on you. But it doesn't mean that you make every decision. Listen, brothers, you're a fool if you aren't seeking to go through life without the help of the one God gave you. Think about a, a business leader. Is, is a wise business leader one who has all the decisions and makes all the decisions and doesn't give input from anybody else but just makes it on his own accord? Is that a wise business owner? No, somebody who is super intelligent and, and runs a good business is one who surrounds himself with people who complement his weaknesses. Someone who can make him a better leader. And really, the best leaders are one who, who are able to help those around them rise up. This is what it means to, to lay down our lives that, listen, there are plenty of decisions that we have made as a family that I have gone with what Nikki said because, let's just face it, she's much more intelligent than me. Men, do not domineer and do not think that you have to make every decision without getting your input. You're a fool if you do that. A wise man surrounds himself with godly counsel. Take in what your wife has to say. Listen, there's one thing I hate doing. I hate shaving. And now I got this up here I got to deal with on a regular basis. And, and listen, if, if I don't shave regularly, like I look like Bozo the Clown. You remember him? Just had the ring around. Like I look crazy because it's like bald up here. It looks awful. I'm not doing no comb over. So I got to shave regularly. Otherwise, I look like a fool. But here's the thing. Nikki loves when I'm freshly shaved. And so, in order to die to myself, because I hate shaving, I want to make sure I, sh I, I do this more, forgive me for not doing as much as I do. I need, I, I want to please her and to love her by dying to myself and shaving more on a regular basis. Make decisions with your wife in mind. Here's another thing that we have to be careful of. Be careful of time with the boys. Or sport night. I, I've heard, and I've like flabbergasted of co young couples who get married, and the man's out three or four times, three or four nights a week playing volleyball, playing, you know, softball, whatever, and neglecting their bride because, hey, this is, a, this is, what, I, this is what I did, and so I don't have to change, right? I, a marriage, like, they should accept me at what I am. When the call is to die to ourselves, when marriage happens, to become one, I'm not saying that we can never have time away. I'm not saying that you can never have like a boys' night. I'm not saying you can never have time where you do something that uh, alone. But what I'm saying is like have conversations. Work it out with your bride. And if she says, fine, you can do that, I, I would go a little bit deeper. <laughs> There's a little hint, a free hint for you, for you men. Work it out. Listen, I, I love to play pickleball. She's not really into pickleball. I love to play golf. She's not really into golf. So there are times I work it through, 
I'm not, I'm not asking her for permission as if, like, like, I need her to let me go because she's like my mom. But I want permission to know, like, do I have your blessings in that? And when, that, when we work that out, and I'm not out five times a week, she's very receptive to, like, yeah, like, you need time alone. So work that time out. And then here's another thing when it comes to dying to, her, to yourself. Look for opportunities to serve her daily, regularly. And men, when you come home from a hard day's work, guess what? Your work has just begun. Because no one is more important in your life than your wife. And I will say this, not even your children. Nothing grieves me more when I see men who, who goo-goo-gaga over their daughters, and meanwhile their wife is left to the side. Listen, I've done this before. Early on, this is how pathetic of a... <laughs> This is what I used to be. This is the old me. How about that? I'll say that. Um, uh, we welcomed our, our firstborn into the world. And we come home from the hospital. And it's like a new, exciting thing. The first time she's at home. And, and so I get inside and just like, man, this is awesome. And then I get a phone call. And it's my wife, whom I had left out in the car with the baby. Like, what a great husband who just, just <laughs> his wife just birthed this child from her body, which is an amazing thing going through, you know, having to get through physically what that looks like, and then I'm neglecting her by leaving her. Man, we can't do that. <laughs> Look for opportunities to serve. That means when I got home, guess who wasn't on my mind? Nikki was not on my mind. There have been times, I remember as a pastor, where she would bring Reese all dressed up. I mean, how can you, how can you, how can you, like, turn away this beautiful girl in her pretty dress on a Sunday morning? But yet, I, I, I had to work through and realize I need to make sure that she gets the attention. She is more important to me than my children. Look for opportunities to serve. And really, the last, the last biblical role is, you could just say, it ties everything up that we've talked about. We've read through verses that speak of this, but the last role is this. Love your what? Love your what? Verse 25 in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As you move on, verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself brothers and sisters not only are we to lead our wives not only are we to to give our lives up but really this is all surrounded by the call to love our wives verse 29 says we should nourish her we should feed her we should help her grow up in the ways of the lord we should cherish her we should adore her it makes me, you can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 13. Turn with me there real quick. Let's just go through a couple of these. And men, if I'm you, I'm making a mental note. And if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write some of these things down. But, but what are some ways that you are failing to love your wife that you want to grow in? Perhaps you want to write these down. Now, I want to remind ourselves, I said this last week, I believe. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a marriage passage. 1 Corinthians 13 is a Christian passage. It's the way that all believers should live. But I think specifically, especially, we should be living this out in our marriage. Husbands, this is how we can love our wives. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. One thing that came to mind as I was thinking through that is like, have you ever like been in an argument and you're like, no, this is the truth. And then it comes out that husbands, you were right. And then you go back and you're like, ha, I was right and you were wrong. You guys have never done that, right? That, that's rejoicing in wrongdoing. There's, that, that's not loving your spouse by having to be right and doing it in such a forceful way. Love bears all things. How, how many times do we have to make every little mistake our spouse makes, make them suffer through? Instead, we need to watch, you know, you've seen water on a duck's back, how it just rolls right off. Like, we need to get better at that. Certainly, there are things that you can't just let go by, but there are so many things that happen in our marriage where we're just like, this is not worth bringing up. We, we all have bad moments. We all have rough days, like, you know, like the kid wake, keeps you up all night long, and then you get in the morning, and you start grumbling, complaining, and fighting, and snapping at each other. There's just times where you just let it go. You're exhausted. Like there's, we need to learn to bear all things. Love bears all things. And that doesn't mean begrudgingly. Love means, you know what, this is just better just left behind. I mean, how many times has Jesus just forgiven me and, and is not raking me over the coals for things I've done wrong? Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. This, this is the way that we are called to love our wives. I also was thinking about a lot about 1 Peter 3, 7. It says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It says live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, this means that we should study our wives. We should get to know them. We should know what they love, what they enjoy. Uh, Gary Chapman wrote a book. If you've been around the church long enough, uh, you've heard this. It's a good book, yet a dangerous book. It's called The Five Love Languages. Here are the, here are the five, uh, five love languages. Acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch. The gist of the book is, is understanding, like, what's your love language? How do you like to receive love? And, and everybody has, like, one or two ways where they like to receive love. And also how you like to give love. And, and it's learning your spouse. How does your, your spouse lo, lo, like to receive love? And then how can you love each other in that way? The reason why it's dangerous is because I've seen people use this as a tool of weapon, weaponry. It's like it's a weapon. Like, oh, how dare you? You mowed the lawn, but you didn't spend no quality time with me. Like, you see how ridiculous that is? Like, well, like the, the lawn needs to be mowed, and uh, I can't spend time with you and mow the lawn at the same time. But yet, so we, we wield these as weapons. However, it, it is helpful to understand how our spouses are wired. I don't know if you've known this, but we are very different people. You are very different than your spouse. Nikki and I, we've been married for almost 20 years, coming up on May 3rd, very close. So praise the Lord that she's put up with me for that long. Uh, actually loved me quite well, not just put up with me. Uh, but through 20 years, we're still learning each other. Um, even this week, we had a conversation recently. I'm, it started with the fact that I, here I am, like, prepping to preach on 
the role of a biblical husband, and I'm just, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm terrible, man, how am I going to stand up and preach this in front of her? And so we're like, let's go have breakfast, honey, I stink at being a husband, forgive me. Uh, and in that conversation, that, that, that out of that spurred other conversations throughout the day where it's just like, we are wired differently. For instance, we process things differently. On some things, I process inwardly, and on the same thing, she processes outwardly. And then on something different, I process outward, and she processes inward. And, it's, and it makes it hard and challenging if you don't have a conversation. If I'm not live, looking to live with her in an understanding way, it can create a lot of chaos. So let me try to explain this, and hopefully I'm honoring her in this, because I, there's, there's nothing to dishonor her about. When it comes to, like, um, hard things that you go through in life, struggles, perhaps people that make you angry and do things that offend you, like, I inwardly process all those negative things. So I'm, like, screaming in my head. I don't usually do it outwardly. Sometimes I do, but I usually process inwardly. And, and that's why sometimes I need time to, to process and think through. I do it inwardly. I don't process it out loud. All those bad thoughts, they're there. All the bad things that come out in other people are there. They're just in my head. And, and she processes that kind of stuff outwardly. And I have struggled to think somehow I am better because I don't process those things out loud. But, but, but both of those things are equal. You can have the negative thought and get it out. They're both, they're both like you got to deal with it. And so it's been hard because, because I'm an inward processor. I think I'm more, I thought at times I'm more holy for keeping it inwardly rather than getting out when she just needs someone to help process it out with. And then at the end of it, she is done with it. And she's able to then process inwardly the work of God helping her work through those and finding hope in Christ and scripture she turns to, she often inwardly processes that. Well, that's what I outwardly process. So in my mind, I've dealt with it, and I am processing it out. I'm giving glory to God. I'm trusting God in the process. I've already dealt with all the negative. Meanwhile, I, I don't hear those things because she often processes it inwardly. Interesting enough, she's a writer, and I think she's a fantastic writer. I might be partial. Uh, but in her writing, she's processing things. I remember reading the, she wrote like a little memoir, reading this memoir, and I'm like bawling because I, these are things that I never knew she processed. Because, because she's more of an inward process when it comes to what God is teaching her. And so we've had to wrestle through that in marriage, understanding I need to pursue those things. And, and here's another thing. Uh, like I know some people think the Enneagram is the devil and wicked and evil, and if you think that, I'm sorry. But I'm like, I'm like a, I don't, I just, it's a helpful tool. It's not ultimate. I'm like a nine. So if you know what a nine is, a nine is like a sort of chameleon, like feels everything. And so I felt all the negative that she has just spewed out. Meanwhile, she's like free and go lucky because she's dealt with it. She's processed it. And meanwhile, I've taken it all on as if there's something desperately wrong with my wife and I need to help her. But as we've realized and worked through these things, I've come to realize, no, she is processing those things. It's, it's just we're wired differently. Man, this, this is what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way. If we just get irritated at one another without going deeper to ask questions to understand what's going on, then we're going to have conflict after conflict after conflict. And I really think if we just learn to communicate and ask the right questions, we would take care of so many marital problems. That was a lot to say. Husbands, do you understand? Have you taken the time to study? Listen, you can ask her questions. Honey, what do you like to receive? 
if she likes if she doesn't like flowers but you keep buying her flowers and they die a day later like how, do you really like flowers no i've really i'd actually rather pursue like could, could we just sit and watch a movie together and you could hold my hand like just have the conversation don't be mad if they don't accept it and don't be mad if somebody's trying to give you love as well and, and it's not the way that you pursue to like it but live with each other in an understanding way the, the scriptures say showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel listen there, there's oh, there's something that I, I i have very low tolerance for this certainly speaks of the fact that men should never touch their wives physically in a angry type way and i i know people there chances are there are people in here who are abusing their wives at home and if you're doing that it's despicable and shame on you. And you need to repent of your sin and find hope in Christ. It's not the way you honor the weaker vessel. Listen, we're equal. It says it right there. We are heirs with you of the grace of life. We must cherish and honor the weaker vessel. This has nothing to do with value. This is why it makes me so angry with the world that wants to say a woman is the same as a man. No. Why don't you watch the athletic sports and you can see the difference. We're physically different. And we are called to honor our wives and to care for them physically, to protect them to the best of our ability. I, wa I wonder why, I wonder if the reason why so many married men struggle in their lives is because they're not loving their wives they're not living with them in an understanding way they're not honoring them look what it says right there at the end do these things so that your prayers may not be hindered is your life a mess right now could it be the fact that you're, you're not loving your wife the way christ has called you to so we are we are quickly running out of time so let me let me finish with this and then i'm going to give us time to pray because i don't want to bypass that why do we love our wives this way why do we why do we are called to lay ourselves down is because there's a picture that we want to portray ephesians 5 31 and 32 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church when we love our wives, the way Christ has called us to love them, we display Christ's love for the church. We display the gospel message. So here's how, here's how we're going to end this today. I'm going to have Zach come up. He's going to play over us and then lead us in a song in a little bit. But I want us to take some time to pray. Men, uh, first of all, we're going we're gonna to pray quietly to ourselves Men, maybe this is a chance for you to repent to the Lord if, if God is revealing ways that you have fallen short as a husband. Uh, single men, if you are not yet married but desire, perhaps this is a chance to pray, Lord, grow this in me. Prepare me to lead a wife. Prepare me to love. Prepare me to lay down. Remind me that a wife is not there to please me, but I'm there to honor the Lord and die, for my, die to myself for the sake of Christ. Wives, silently I encourage you to pray over your husbands. This is a this is a, we're responsible to God. And, and just take courage in this too, that God will have his way with your husband. Either lead him to repentance or convict him and, and discipline him. Pray over him. Pray that God would meet him. Pray that God would encourage him in Christ. Single ladies, if you're not married, 
whether you want to be married or not, if you want to be married, pray for your future husband even now, that God would grow this in him. Those who don't want to be married, pray for the husbands in this room. We desperately need it. So I'm going to lead us in a different time after this, but just spend a minute or two just praying to yourself. Let's do that now.